The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Kevin Schuler. I am the associate pastor of student ministries here at the church. And so today we we look at John chapter fourteen. Could I ask you guys this question? Where are you guys at with this series? You may not have been here all every Sunday to hear what's going on. But there's been a lot of great information and great sermons that we have talked about, we have learned about the book of John. We have taken time to read through what is being said, the promises that are given. But where are you at in these series? For chapter 14, I, you know, I quickly just want to, we, we heard from Pastor Doug last week, chapter 13. What a great picture he, he started with the disciples and Jesus having a meal together. And I, I, was really taking, I was really thinking about that moment. In the past of what has led up to this moment where Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus starts washing the feet of his disciples. From the beginning of time, when man first sinned, it's been prophesied, it's been said the Messiah will come, the serpent will be destroyed, and there will be a way to God. There will be, but man has cut that off because of sin, and now there will be a day when this will happen, a way will be made. All throughout Israel's history, we read through the Bible, that they were conquered, they were kings in the area, they were conquered again and again and time and again. This is for hundreds of years this goes on, where God, uh, his presence is in the tabernacle, in the temple, and that's where people go to be close to God's presence, to hear what he has to say. They had, a, they had their way of, of bringing a sacrifice for the high priest to give to the altar and to uh, forgive them of their sins. And that was God's presence. That was God's command to them. So throughout the Old Testament, we see how that has developed over the centuries and centuries of time. We see, again, the, the way Israel has been, was conquered. Israel was uh, king. So King Saul, King David, King Solomon, the years of uh, fruitfulness in that time of Israel where they were... Uh, they were kings in the land, in that land. But now we have it, we see in the New Testament, there's, after the prophets, we see that God almost just takes a spell and just says, Israel, you have got to get through this. And so for a few hundred years, we have this moment between, and we can see in the Bible, where between Malachi and Matthew, that there's a, there's a time of spell where people are, uh, are there with God, but God just takes a moment to get the people of Israel through this time. And now this baby is born. Now this baby that's been prophesied by Isaiah and the different prophets, this baby has been born. And so throughout Israel, you are ruled by the Romans. You are ruled by another country that is deciding the fate of your country. And now you hear about the Messiah has been born. Well, this is great news. It has to be. It has to be great news. This has been foretold of what is going to happen. And so now the Messiah has been born. We have hope in the future. What is that to come? But a baby, I thought it would be a king. I thought it would be armies coming in. And so uh, for those, for that certain time, I'm sure there was the big question about what does this Messiah look like? We thought it may be differently. And so then a couple more decades passed by. And now we have this man named Jesus who now he called me and said, Hey, Peter, hey, John, hey, James, come follow me. And I'm going to teach you what God is wanting to uh, teach you and wanting you to learn. 
So as a disciple, you would, you would be following this. You left, your, you left your career, you left your life to follow Jesus, one that says, follow me. So now three years go by where you're just seeing amazing things done, and we see this in the book of John. That's what we've been talking about. All the while hearing these nuggets of amazing truth of who Jesus is. You see the miracles happen. You see that, you see that uh, Jesus has been talking about, I'm the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. Heals on the Sabbath. The water he gives quenches all thirst. So all this is in our mind about who Jesus is. But all the while, you're still under Roman occupation. You're still wondering, okay, when is it going to happen? When is this Messiah that has been promised to us? I still remember a day when I came home from lunch break. I came to eat some lunch. It was January 25th, 2011. And I've been hearing the news about Egypt. And I turned on the TV and I saw Tahia Square. And I don't know if anybody remembers that day. That was inspiring when you saw millions of people, thousands of people in that square standing up together, wanting to go against corruption, wanting to wanting to overthrow the government. That was inspiring for a Canadian because I'm far away from it, but I can see it on the TV, and yet I was still inspired. I was saying, wow, that is amazing, people coming together like that. And, of course, through the next couple weeks, it was sad to hear about the atrocities, but it was also still inspiring because people were passionate about what they believe in. And yet, from July, January 25th, we, we can now see what has happened afterwards the Arab Spring, and so many other revolutions took place in the Middle East. We see Ukraine, we see Crimea, you see, uh, we can look back to Britain in 1812, there was a big revolution there. We can see the former colonialist countries, uh, the different types of revolutions, we can see that. And so I think as disciples, man, if I was, if I was there, I'd be thinking, Jesus, is, this is the guy, this is the one that will get us out of this. He is the powerful he is the one that to lead us out of this Romeo occupation. I would, I get it, you, you're the son of God, but wow, what is, what's next? And so you have this moment where chapter 13, this culmination of events, you are sitting down now and eating supper with this man. He's washing your feet. He's saying, I'm going to serve you. And we, we heard from Pastor Doug, he is the true servant. Human tendency is what we see. Human tendency, we, we, want, we want to think of the best thing for our lives. Human tendency drives us, our mind to that. I think of another revolution that I've been hearing about, that I've just been learning about. This man was named Frank Pai. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was a Protestant Christian. He was passionate about God. And yet during his time, there was a lot of things happening with the government that he was under control. He felt passionate to be a part of peaceful protests. He felt passionate, yeah, we can do this. We can do this in a way that can be peaceful and God-honoring. Again, I don't want to get too much into the sides of it, but there was a moment where he was a leader, and so there was a moment where his movement was really clashing with other, with other movements in the country. And so he was a Cuban national, and so he took time he took time to uh, meet with another fellow leader of another movement. He took time to meet with Fidel Castro in a jungle. And he penned these words to a manifesto that said, okay, when this happens, when victory happens, 
this is what needs to follow. So it kind of organized, and people were passionate about that. Again, I don't want, I'm not getting into that it was right, but it's just, it's inspiring. I do agree. I, I do think that it was inspiring to see how humans, with passion and with vigor, they want to see change, because they don't want to see wrong prosper. I thought it was, uh, Frank was an interesting character in this story as I was learning about it, because peaceful protests turned into hostile actions, and so I'm not, I'm not advocating for that but, at all, but uh, it's inspiring because of that idea, and to organize, and to see what comes next. In chapter 14, we see about God's connection to the believers. That's what we start seeing. So we see the way to God, the truth of God, and the life from God for the believers. Disciples left their careers and lives to follow Jesus. They were fishermen, tradesmen, builders, tax collectors, government workers. They left everything to follow Jesus. And we have three great questions from these disciples as we'll take a look in chapter 14. But I would say that chapter 14 is part of a manifesto that God has penned and Jesus has dictated. But it's not so much a revolution and to take that on, it's his reconciliation plan. It's, all been, a, it's been that all the time. And so now we have a time where Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and dictating this manifesto of what is to happen. If you have your Bibles, can you turn to John chapter 13, verse 36? Would you please stand with me as we read from God's word? To start chapter 14, I believe we gotta, we got to see the, the verse 36 here. And so we'll read verse 36, but then John 14, 1 to 6. And there's a question from Simon Peter in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And now we'll skip to verse, or chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And do you know the way where I'm going? And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word and the scripture we're going to talk about today. So verse 1, believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is answering this question from Peter. Because he says, if you believe in God, he's making a connection between himself and God. Again, if you don't understand this, guys, believe in God, believe also in me. In verse 4, you know the way I am going. I, I see that as Jesus was really saying, you know the way to God. You know the way to God. I love those, uh, the first set of verses there in chapter 14. I, it's dear to my heart. It was, it was uh, something that uh, I had memorized as a younger kid, but uh, my mom, when she said she would you know, be tucking me in or whatever, but she said, hey, whenever you get scared, start reciting these verses, and God will help you out, and do not fear. And so this is such a, such a neat passage for me to, exact, uh, to start diving into, and I see that in verse 4 is, you know the way to God. You know the way to God, guys. And so now we have our first question of the chapter. God, we don't know the way you are going, and how do we know it? So that's from Thomas. 
hey, where are you, God? Where are you going? And how do we get there? It's what Thomas is pretty much saying. Verse 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Thomas. No man comes to the Father but through me. That is a verse, it's a powerful verse. It's clearly one of my favorites. And I love that, how Jesus states that straight up to Thomas. No one comes to the Father but through me. But again, there's that human tendency we can see, and I can, I can see Peter, you know, he, hearing this stuff from uh, after Thomas and the question from Thomas and from Jesus, he just was, Jesus just told him, hey man, you're going to deny me three times. Even though you say you're my best friend, you're never going to leave me, I will do anything for you. You're going to deny me three times. And now Peter hears this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a human tendency to still be thinking, Jesus, don't leave. Why are you leaving? This, this is where it's getting good. We're getting momentum. There's thousands of people that love you. There's getting momentum, and this is, this is an interpretation of I have, but I, uh, there's a human tendency for me to even cry out, Jesus, it's, it's an amazing time. Why are you leaving right now? That would deflate a whole movement. Jesus, don't, don't go away this soon. He, you are our leader. The second point we want to see is the truth of God. And so now Jesus is going to start explaining why. He has to leave. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. He makes this statement. Jesus is God, but he is not the father. Jesus is God, but he's not the father. Makes a very clear statement there in that verse. I am God, but I am not the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Question number two, verse eight. Philip asks, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough to this. Jesus, I need to see to believe. I need to see this to believe it. Disciples might be slowly starting to understand now that Jesus is truly leaving. No matter that they're having a good meal together. But there is a moment where Jesus is going to truly live. And this might be a little bit of a, because Philip is saying, well, let's see the Father then. I need to see this to believe it. Verse 11. Let's skip to verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. God is the connection between the Father and the Son. So when I said Jesus is God, but he's not the Father, because God is the glue. God is the connection between the Father and the Son. So it's maybe a comfort to know that as a disciple in that room of a close friend of Jesus. It would be a comfort to know that, that God is the Father and he's the Son. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Greater works will not happen in this movement. Greater works will not happen on this world if I don't go to the Father. Guys, this is why I have to leave. Don't think that I'm uh, you know, pulling the parachute and I'm getting out of here. I have to go so that greater things are going to happen. That's why I got to go. 
That's why I have to leave right now. In verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So God is a holy triune God. Verse 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. 16 and 17 show, Jesus says from his mouth, God is a holy trinity. So God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Spirit. Jesus is not the Spirit, but he's God. The Father is not the Spirit, but he's God. And God is the connection. God is the connection of these three parts. The Holy Trinity. So here we have the statement from Jesus. This is who God is. You've been learning about, you've been seeing what God does. But now you're hearing who God is through this time. It's great. Verse 19. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live you will live also. So this is great, guys. Peter, Thomas, you know, Philip, this is great. When you see the Holy Spirit working, that clearly means that I live. The Holy Spirit is not going to be with you if I'm dead. There's, gotta, there's things that have to happen in order for the Holy Spirit to come and do greater works than I would. But rejoice in the fact that if you see the Holy Spirit working, it means that I live with the Father right now. I live. Death did not defeat. Grave could not hold me. I live. The Holy Spirit does his work. Because what would the Holy Spirit do if, it was, if Jesus was dead? If God the Son was dead? And so he's trying to, Jesus is really trying to separate this human tendency to start thinking differently. But he also, he's also declaring beautiful truth to a believer, to the follower. Keep going. Greater things are going to happen. It doesn't matter if I leave. Well, it's good that I leave. But greater works are going to happen. And so, see to believe, Philip. Call on the Holy Spirit. Get to know him more. Learn to trust and depend on him more. The third point I want to make is the life from God. So we have the way to God, the truth of God, and the life from God. Jesus wouldn't leave now, right? You, you, why would you leave right now, Jesus? But there are certain things that got to happen. And now we take a look at, well, we see in the question number three now. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? This is a, this is a good question for every believer. I think every, every believer would be through this question is, what makes me different as a believer than that of the world? What, what's going to be disclosed to me? Maybe, again, that human tendency shows up where, well, what do I get from this, you know? What do I, what, what, what is this benefit you talk about? Or maybe it's, it's a clear, innocent question of, so yeah, what, it, what makes us different then? We're all passionate beings. We're all inspired. We all move the same way. We all want justice. So what makes me different? Than the world. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. 
Highlight that word, we, in your Bible. He's just declared the Holy Trinity, it does exist, and now the Holy Trinity will make our abode with you. We will make and abide in you. That is the most significant difference between the believer and that of the world. The Holy Trinity desires to abide in the believer. But that's why the way was made. The way was given. Verse 26, it just talks about more about what this Holy Spirit is going to be a part to be doing. 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The helper, the teacher, and the Holy Spirit wants to recall things, the truth that disciples have learned. He will recall to this, and sure, I'm sure he would love to talk about how the church is going to start up, we can read that in Acts, and Hey guys, there's going to be some amazing things happen. Amazing great works are going to happen with the Holy Spirit. The church is going to grow. The church is going to expand. It's going to go all over the world. But he just wants to, he just wants to tell them he is the helper. He is the teacher. And he will call the things that are learned. Because people are inspired. People, when they hear the true gospel of love and the true gospel from God, it is inspiring. It's invigorating. It's, it's desirable. It's something that people want to know more of. And so verse 26 depicts the Holy Spirit's role through this time. The manifesto will live on through the believers and not end with Jesus' departure. Verse 27, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Don't let the heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. The fact that, we, that Jesus is talking about peace clearly shows that there's going to be Tough times. Clearly, it shows evidence of catastrophe. Why would you be given peace if that wasn't there? But the Holy Spirit is there to give you peace, to leave my peace with you. This is why the Holy Spirit is here. It is evident of that. The Holy Spirit's peace is a confident assurance through any circumstances. It is given to those who accept it. Peter. John, James, Judas, Philip, Thomas. This is, so I need, to, I need to depart from you. I have to go away. But look, you're going to have these things happen. You, you understand the Holy Trinity and how God works. Greater works are going to happen. Greater things are going to be done after I'm gone. The Holy Spirit is here to give you peace through those tough times, through those trials. This is, what's, that has, this is the plan. This is what's going to happen. Letting the Holy Spirit work through your life means that the Holy Trinity will abide with them. Faith will grow. Uh, You'll learn more about God. Their conviction will be stronger. Their passionate stronger. And because of the Holy Spirit, they will be a part of greater works than Jesus. So I just want to say John 14 is a a word from Jesus' mouth, a dictated manifesto. This is a movement that's been happening for three years now on, on earth, but it's going to be bigger. It's going to be greater. It doesn't matter if I leave. I've got to go away. I've got to take this time to go away. But the way to God is through the Son, and the only way to God is through the Son. The truth of God is, is that he's a holy, trying God that desires to abide with you. And the life from God 
well, you're going to live it fully. You're going to be a part of great things all to all the believers, all the disciples, because the Holy Spirit's going to be working through you. The Holy Spirit's going to be working through those moments of tough times, of trials, of moments where you want to give up, of moments where human tendency might be overpowering that, that, that voice, that, that Holy Spirit in your life. This series is so important. The book of John is so important to our day's culture. It's ruled by post, post-modernism, to which everything is questioned, and now everything, every single structure is questioned. Well, what, why? 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 Why do I need to do this? Why do you do that? Why do you do this? This is our culture today. Relativism rules the first world problems. What is true for you in that moment, that is what you go with. That is the best decision. So it's true for you, ah, good for you. That is what rules today. Human tendency depends heavy on convenience to prop up its world and to prop up its organization. Don't get me wrong. I love convenience. There's a great, there's a great joy in that. But when it becomes the God, when it becomes the sole director of your decisions, well, what's convenient for me in this time? What's true for me in this time? I'll go with that. This is no longer a silly topic to talk about. No way. No way people would ever live like that. No way would people say, oh, whatever's true for me, I'll live that way. This is no longer a silly topic that I once had with grandpas and grandmas and you know, parents years ago. This is reality, because there is a vocal minority. I truly believe this. It's a vocal minority that is overpowering the silent majority. Relativism, it's eroding the foundations. It's eroding our our love for God. It's eroding that truth that we just heard through all this series. Relativism is doing that, but my goodness, call on the helper. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, call on the helper, folks. (laughs) Believers, this is why he's here. This is why he was sent to us. I'm not sure if you've been listening or seeing what's been happening in North America these past 10 days. What a catastrophe. What a sad to see that. It's inspiring as well to see the people that are standing up. Again, I'm not here to talk about different sides and what's right, what's wrong. My goodness, it's sad. I was listening to, I was watching CNN the other day, and there's a couple of uh, people on the news. They're talking about, what? Where is this all going? Because at a moment, we are past a a line where we can't go back now. And so that's what they were trying to figure out, and it was a Without them saying anything, but on the, on, the, on the television, it was a great picture of relativism in its moment. You have a lot of people questioning what is right for me, what is right for us in this moment. And so, of course, there were different opinions of what should happen. Some said, oh, well, you know, I still got to lean on that I got to do the best for myself, make sure that I, you know, I don't wrong anybody, and your responsibility is for you. And that's when we come together, that's what will make it gel. Some other guy was saying, no, no, we got it. Who's going to come to the table first? Who's going to start saying, well, this is right. This is who right. You know, and that's relativism at its finest. 
there's a big question mark, and that stays that way. Because no one knows at, the, at that point what to do, who to follow. Jesus, the Holy Trinity, the helper, the comforter, the teacher, the one to recall to memory what has been said. I just wanted to scream at the TV and just call in and say, hey, John 14, 26. Read it. But it is our culture today, guys. Don't let this be just a silly thought. And, oh, there's some people that believe in that. This is what's ruling today's culture. This is how our governments uh, interact with uh, other countries abroad. This is how we interact internally. So dad, mom, grandparents, uncles, aunts, kids, college and career, teens, recognize relativism. Recognize it. It is a part of your daily life, and I know it is. And it's a part of your human tendency because it sounds good to do. It does. I fully admit that. It sounds good because I want to take care of myself and what's true for me in that moment, that's what I'm going to do. This is not what we're called for. This is why we read the book of John. This is why we are inspired to follow God. This is the why. Because the way that we find in verse 6, it's the dagger to relativism. It's the end of relativism. I am the only way to, and the life, the truth and the life to God. No one comes to the Father through me. It is the dagger to relativism. The truth, God desires to abide with you. God desires to abide with you. The Holy Trinity. The life is to fully experience his peace because times, tough times will come. The teacher, the helper will help step by step. Physical pain, of course, when believers hurt. Jill and I have been so blessed by this church. The testimony of this church, I must say, it's been amazing. So thank you. Spiritual pain. God desires to forgive, guys. God desires it. That's why he made a way. So believers, it gives you a peace from guilt. Don't let guilt stand in the way of your relationship with God. Don't let the guilt of sin, don't let the guilt of Just staying alone. Don't let the, the guilt of sin that has just crept up and you keep on doing the same thing and says, God will never accept that. God desires to forgive. That's why he made a way. That's why he made a way. Because of Jesus, we can be in God's presence. So don't, believers, don't let guilt do that. Don't let guilt hamper your relationship with God. Don't let it block you from talking with God, from being closer to him by relying on the Holy Spirit, don't let that guilt stop you from doing that. Have you ever cried out those three questions? And let's review those three questions. God, where are you? How do I know how to get there? I need to see to believe, God. I need to see to believe, so show me something. If you call me a Christian, if I'm a Christian, how am I different? What is the benefits of this? You ever cried out those three questions? 
human tendency tends to mask that and tends to uh, squash inspiration and passion sometimes. Because we come to our self-nature, we come to that, we want to retreat to that. But the believer is called out of that. We are called out to teach and to show others. This is what God has been doing in our life. What's going to change, guys? What needs to change? Christians, what needs to change? Don't let relativism rule your life and your family's life. What is the difference between the believer and the world? I want to call up the uh, worship team as they come in the moment, but I would ask that we just all bow our heads, close our eyes for, for a moment. There's a lot of, this is 14 chapters of amazing and awesome love. This is an opportunity. I really want to take this time. Let's just stop and just say, God, what, is, what has been taught? What am I learning? Please recall the truth. Holy Spirit, recall the truth. May my life be different. May my life be inspired. May more passionate after this day, after I stand up out of the seat. What can change in my life? Believers, I call you to that. You've got to be doing that. A self-reliance, self-trusting on God. We, we need to see God and the Holy Spirit working. And that's okay to ask the Holy Spirit to say, where are you working in my life? If you are not a Christian and you're here today, this is such an encouraging passage, and I really want you to see that, please. I really want you to see John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's one way. It may not be. Relativism says, oh, there should be all oh, many ways. There can't be just one way. There's many ways to get to God. No, 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 no. Right here in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Isn't that great, though? We know there's only one way. You don't have to keep searching and keep searching to find insurance. It's right from Jesus, right here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you have some time right now, as you're bowing your head, don't, don't worry about what other people are doing, but it's time with you and God and say, Maybe I haven't accepted that. Maybe I, haven't, I don't believe that. God, would you show me that as I step into a relationship with you? This is a moment, guys. This is a moment for us to, to see that and to hear the Holy Spirit challenging us, teaching us, helping us, and convicting us.